Good evening, dear listener. Or indeed, good morning, dear listener, depending on where and when you're listening to this. For despite growing and mounting, yet still barely discernible pressure, we've decided to prefer, preserve the very nature of our little Chelsea FC podcast. And we're going to resist the modern day trend towards live podcasting, as Martin Tyler might say. No, we remain firmly lodged in our bijou shed, smoking jackets and cravats on, perched virtually on our Chesterfields, sipping the finest port. Well, folks, tonight was going to be all about the theme of our disastrous exits from the Champions League and FA Cup, followed by our plucky draw against the mighty West Ham on Saturday. However, as is the way these days, other truly disastrous events put the travails of our football club into some sort of perspective. Whilst I'm sure we don't need to underline our sorrow at the events of this week in Brussels, one thing it does prove is that Mr Bill Shankly's oft-quoted football isn't a matter of life and death. It's more important than that. Really is utter bollocks. Sorry, Shanks, I know the context was very different, but nothing is more important than life or death, especially not football. Moving on, we will be discussing the three games since our last podcast. And yes, it is, it is just three games which does mean we've been surprisingly regular of late, which in itself is a worrying development to the very nature of our podcast. Remember, folks, we pod when we want. Tonight, I have the pleasure of introducing three of the most stellar minds ever to have been assembled in the podding shed, or, as others might call them, the regulars. I'm always pleased, I am always pleased to welcome the ever-entertaining and our very own Jeremy Beadle at Dr. Blue Bio. A.K.A. Donald, Donald, sorry, presumably without the Dutch national anthem. Good evening, Donald. <laughs> That's your poor. <laughs> Good evening. I was just pausing where the Dutch national anthem might have been had things been different. <laughs> Excellent. Good evening, all. Good evening. Um, he's joined by our very own Jeremy Paxman in the form of the razor-sharp-witted So Contrary, also known as Mark. Good evening, Mark. Good evening. And finally, he's moved from super sub to our very own last line of defence, our very own Jeremy Irons, the beautifully spoken, suave and sophisticated at Goalie59, also known as Clayton. Evening, Clayton. Um, If it was visual, I'd look behind me to see who you were actually talking about. But thank you very much, Tony. I appreciate that. Okay, which leaves me somewhat in the only other Jeremy I could think of, um, which was Jeremy Kyle. (laughs) So, um, paternity, I have my paternity test at the ready, um, and if we want to kick off, we will. Part one, we're just going to talk about the three games. I'd like to start with you, Mark, of course, Um, and I'd like a general view of your view of the past three games, starting with PSG and leading to wheresoever you wish. Okay, thank you very much. Well, last time we podcasted, we ended on giving a forecast for the following two games, PSG and Everton. And I don't think any of us were too specific. We were all a bit vague. And I think, really, the reason that we were all a bit vague is we knew what was coming, but we didn't have the guts to (laughs) say it. Because we're all fans, and we don't want to be despondent and negative before the event. But in my own mind, I feared the worst, to be honest. So, um, PSG, <coughs> excuse me, uh, PSG, uh, we went a goal behind. I thought we did well to come back, and for a period of time, everyone was 
buoyant. I mean, we were playing well, we were rising to the challenge. If we could have got the next goal, it would have been game on. But as soon as they got another one, you know, they just pricked our balloon, basically, and the whole place deflated. And there was no way we were going to score enough goals to come back from that. So I think we did our best. I think it was an honest performance. Um, the truth is, they were a bit better than us. I thought they kept the ball very well. Um, Ibrahimovic, he's a bit of an arrogant tosspot, but actually he is quite good. I mean, he's big and strong, sort of Mickey Troy with technical skills. Um, and, um, you know, in the end, we can't really be complaining too much about getting beaten. They were a little bit better than us over two legs, fair dues. Well, once we'd lost to PSG, I think the writing was on the wall to Everton. Um, we were all a bit knackered, uh, deflated. I think it was very difficult to get the players up for that game. You know, it went reasonably well for a period of time. I was very, very frustrated with Oscar, who seems to be doing Joe Cole impersonations in his early days under Jose Mourinho, in that he endeavours to lose the ball in difficult positions when there's very little defence behind him. And I know the ball went a long way up upfield up to Lukaku, who eventually got the first goal. But Oscar was, in my mind, to blame for that one. He was just trying a fancy little flick. He lost it. They ran away with it. They scored. And again, it was game over. As for West Ham, uh, I was just recovering from a very sore throat. So excuse any coughing that I do tonight. My wife, Nikki, had just caught my sore throat and was coming down with it. And we both weren't feeling that great. And we wasted three tickets for that game, which are still pinned to my notice board. And um, I didn't witness it, so I can't comment on West Ham. Oh, dear. Well, I am... Because uh, I was going to make my point about the, the West Ham game, but I'm, I'm actually going to leave my, my little bit until last. Um, interesting you should say that, because that we're sort of going to cover off a little bit on Oscar in, in the sort of second part. But, um, you know, he, he I'm sure Donal and um, uh, Clayton will probably have something to say about this, but um, for my mind, he was at fault in a similar way for the second goal against West Ham. Um, a completely unnecessary loss of possession on, on his part when he had, players to lay it off to um, and within you know five seconds the ball was through to Andy Carroll um, and they'd gone ahead against the run of play um, Donal your view um, PSG um, I tend to agree with Mark I thought I had a distinct impression or feeling that at one all and as the game started to roll on it was always a big ask once they'd scored um, the away goal but I thought we looked more likely to score um, as the game was was running on. They did hold the, they did keep the ball very well, um, particularly in the first half. We seemed to struggle to to, to press, and it, it does come back to something I think we've we've talked about before. Is we seem to have become a team that, that's not able to to press the ball, and, and that seems to be so much part of the modern game that cohesive pressing keeps breaking down. Um, but that's, that said, I, I thought by the time by the time the second half was, was ticking away, I thought we were nicking the ball off them a lot. That they, they were, you know, finding it hard to, to thread the ball uh, and, and get in behind the midfield. And then just as I was thinking that, 
they played that little ball in in behind and and that little ball in behind the advancing back four seems to be killing us lately uh, several goals you know West Ham was one of the Everton goals like that I think it was um, that we seem to be getting picked off as they push up outside the penalty box the ball gets slipped in the channel you know either between the centre backs or between centre back and, and, and full back and we're too slow to turn or too slow to cover across or the player playing the ball has too much time to pick his spot and and we're getting done by it but yeah I thought with PhD like Mark says we you know for 60 minutes we were certainly in the game you know 70 minutes whatever once they got that second goal understandably you know your legs are going to go and, and your head's going to go a bit and you know we were never coming back from that but up until that point I thought we were actually starting to get on top of them but just of late we're starting to leak two goals a game again and um very often it's it's coming against the run of play, but it is that those little balls in in behind the back four, um, whichever way it's getting organised, it, it's it's not working at the moment. Yeah, um, Everton, yeah, Everton was just two bad teams really. They were no better than us, and um, I think the early signal was for me Costa, who's been so focused of late he allowed Gareth Barry who was shithousing all day to, to to get him off his stride quite early on and that was always a bad sign you know and, and disappointingly Barry got sent off about you know an hour and a half too late basically <laughs> oh, you know it's uh, uh, but I'm not making you know Costa you know, just unnecessary. Um, so, and, you know, all the time you're thinking that uh, Lukaku's never scored against Chelsea, never really played very well against Chelsea. Up he pops with two goals. But, you know, it was a poor performance. West Ham, you know, first 20 minutes, we didn't look at all, you know, organised in midfield. They, they were playing through quite, quite easily. But, you know, after... After they scored their first goal, I thought, you know, I mean, I didn't see the last. I, I saw it up to just before Carroll scored, and at that point, I had to, to head out. I, I sort of was feeling quite early conflict. showing at the cinema. Was it done? <laughs> um, no, I was having to go and uh, collect uh, uh, a young person. Okay, I think that's a fair excuse. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. One of our sort of godchildren was coming around to, to spend the evening with my children so I had to go and pick them up so um, but up until that point I thought we were you know we looked more likely to score certainly the second half we started well and, and looked well on top and um, you know uh, had finished the second half uh, the first half pretty well too so and I thought John Obi Mikel was outstanding all day um, I thought he just seemed to hold the whole team together on 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 Saturday, uh, you know, even even their first goal, he was that was a really good tackle. It just, unfortunately for him, went straight to Lanzini. But you know, he was he was he was everywhere. He seemed to get hold of the ball. He was moving. He he was very positive as well. There was lots of runs upfield, bringing the ball up, you know, making space, 
etc etc and I thought it was a great performance by Mikel and uh, you know I, I think they deserved a draw you know West Ham didn't uh, didn't do enough for me to to justify winning it I, I thought but again it's those little breakdowns in defence are costing us big time again you know there was a period there where we weren't conceding or maybe conceding the odd goal now suddenly and that, maybe that's understandable with, with the change to the personnel they're having to jig the, the back four about a lot but you know it's uh, it's it's causing problems again Indeed Clayton I'm going to um, sadly take you back to PSG I know you've already discussed it once on, a, on our not a rival our, 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 our friendly um, Chelsea fan cast but um, uh, looking back at that and you know I mean I, I did come back from the cinema I did kind of bring myself to watch <laughs> the highlights package um, of the of, of that game and for me I mean the, the sort of Diego Costa um, injury seemed to be a, a, a big turning point in that game as well but do you think this has made us and the rest of English clubs um, third tier in Europe um not necessarily. I don't. I don't. I don't think so. Um, what Mark said was was spot on. Insofar as I think we were all sitting on a fence that we knew which way um, the wind was blowing, and, and we didn't actually. We, we we lived in hope more than expectation as getting through against PSG. I think PSG are a good side. I don't think they're a great side. I think we did okay against them. Um, I think and very few things I actually agree with Gus about recently but he actually said that we showed them too much respect for the first 20 minutes when we really didn't have much of the ball and I think he's probably right but I mean who, whose fault is that um, I think that we did very well to get back we scored a fantastic goal and for the rest of that half I think we, we had the upper hand um, I think in the back of my mind there was always a you, you thought maybe they had another gear uh, that they could move up to. Um, but I think we played really well. And I think if we would have scored a second goal, I, I, I think it, we, we could have won that tie. When Costa went off, it was it, it was game over. I mean, the whole body language of the team, perhaps, you know, in hindsight, just it was like, well, if he ain't there, who, who is going to score? And, and as it happened... Uh, nobody. I mean, once PSG had scored, and it was quite actually a fortunate goal. I mean, it's a long time ago, but it was actually um, a ricochet that actually put them through. So that was one of those cases when our defence was perhaps not so much at fault. But So I think the result we got in Paris was a decent result. A different sort of Chelsea a couple of years ago might have actually held on and, and got something out of that. So I think, yeah... Um, I, I mean, my view, and I know it's hard to say, is if we would have got through, I don't actually think we would have, you know, got anywhere near what we did in 2012. Uh, so that was disappointing. And then I suspect that the Everton, as the guys have said, it might have been quite difficult to lift the team. But I do wonder. I just, I, I think that there's a couple of things. It, the game reminded me a lot of the game that we played um, when the fat Spanish waiter was in charge, when we went to Swansea. Um, ah, yes. for the second leg of the League Cup and we were 2-0 down and apart from the ball boy kicking 
you were (laughs) sitting there and you were just waiting for us to do something Mm. and we didn't do anything and I think we went into the Everton game with exactly the same approach there was no taking it to them now I think there's two things I think one the, I, I agree with Costa, and, and Costa did get frustrated, but they were systematically kicking him. He got absolutely no protection from the referee, and by the time he got sent off, we were 2-0 down, so it was the game was gone. So I sort of blame him, but I, I don't really, because I actually think that he got no protection. Not only didn't get any protection from the referee, but where were his teammates? Doing likewise to Everton. Nowhere. Um, so... Uh, and, and up until 70 minutes, Everton were as poor as we were. You know, that, that for me, that was the most frustrating thing about losing to Everton, is that they weren't any good either. I mean, they, they were just as bad as we They were misplacing passes. Um, up until that point, I don't think Thibaut had anything to do. And then, I don't actually remember Oscar giving the ball away, but it comes as no surprise. But, I'm sorry, there is no, however good a player Lukaku is, and may well be in the future. There is no way that that guy should have got where he got. He should have been put in the stand a long time before we get anywhere near the penalty area. I think he beat Asby. We had the the the, the hands behind the back shuffle from Branner. We had the excuse me waltz with. Um, I think well, Branner Branner went on his ass actually. Clayton. Well, what a big ass is. Um, we had. Yeah. Mikel waving him through because he couldn't touch him because it would have been a penalty. And then we had the Gary Cahill spin. Mm. You know, and and then the... I don't know what Tebow was doing, but he, he just gave him as much of the goal to shoot at. So as much as um, it was, a, it was a, a, a good goal, it was, it was a terrible goal to concede. And that, and that was, what, 75, 76? So we weren't that far away from getting something out of that game. But... It was just—I mean, I, I, it was just indicative of a, a really, really poor season. Um, you know, those guys knew that was the last chance out of achieving anything this season, and I didn't really see anybody apart from Costa giving giving a toss. To be honest, interesting because I, I had a sort of similar opinion. I sort of thought—I mean, I thought it was just as bad for for Everton's um, second goal. That was, if anything, looked like a team that had fallen asleep. It was that one. Um, and the reason I said about the third tier thing is, is that I, I keep looking at Barcelona, Bayern, Real as the top tier, and you probably put PSG and maybe Atletico in the second tier. And my, in my own mind, I'm not convinced that any of the clubs that we put into Europe this year are as good as them, and that's indi- you know indicated by the, the the kind of poor state of the Premier League. If you like, when none of the big clubs are really setting the thing alight. Um, it may just be a transitional season, and we've had this before. For, for certain um, I also took the view that I think it was inevitable about Lukaku that he was going to come back at some point um, with a point to prove you're right he just walks through a defence that um, basically fell asleep and he, like you said you could probably come out with either walks through one um, uh, sort of tangoed past another and you know there's a bit of spin dancing or break dancing at the end with Gary Cahill um, but it was disappointing in the fact that it had gone on to a point where I think a lot of fans were thinking, you know what, we'll have to take a replay. Uh, not that our home form was any particularly big thing to write home about. Um, but just where I'll move myself, I just want to talk about that West Ham game. Um, I thought the first half was abject. That was my recollection of it. Up until um, Fabregas had got his goal, um, you know, West Ham had been more threatening, more certainly more powerful. They had some big units in. I mean, that Antonio... I think his name is. 
I, I, he did. He was on Sky. On Sky goals on Sunday the week before, and I had no. I got no impression from that that he was as big and hulking a unit as he is. Um, but the second half um, against West Ham, I came out of that ground, and you know, even if we hadn't got the late penalty, um, I was buzzing, absolutely buzzing. I hadn't seen a performance like that from Chelsea this season in any half of football that I can remember, where. Um, we were on top from the minute the second half started. Um, we were playing the ball around nicely. We were getting chances. Oscar then made a dreadful Joe Cole Mourinho early days ricket where um, with Pedro sort of running down the left wing and a couple of other players spare in the middle, he dilly-dallied, he looked around and bang, the ball was gone. You know, And I think within one pass they'd got run through. It might have been Pyatt, stuck it through to Carroll and in for... Uh, a poor goal from Courtois' perspective, um, for sure. But, you know, still, ultimately, it, it was an unforced error that kind of started the whole thing. But for the rest of that half, after that, it was end-to-end. Absolutely end-to-end. I mean, you know, two clearances off, or certainly close on JT, a couple of feet off the line, and then Traore off the line. Um, uh, what's his name? Cresswell hitting the bloody underside of the bar with a cross that he, I'm probably sure he's telling his mates was a shot. Um and and our chances as well. Um, I, I really came out of that game at the end um, absolutely buzzing. I actually stood and watched the penalty because I've had a thing now for several years where I turn away from the penalty and we've not missed one at Stamford Bridge when I've done that. But I thought our season's just so shit anyway. If it's going to break that hoodoo or whatever, then it's going to be now. And I actually, actually watched the Fabregas um, uh, penalty. So I came out of that. I, if I, I didn't go to the pub, I wish I had, because it was, you know, I was really, really pumped that even if we hadn't won, or got the draw, sorry, um, I came out thinking, feeling like we'd won, because that performance was so good. Can I Can I just, uh, as a, an old Aloisian, I feel I have to uh, stand up for my fellow old Aloisian, Joe Cole, and um, <laughs> yes, he may have given the ball away on on a couple of occasions that, uh, that have led to goals, but but so did as, as great a leading light as Gianfranco Zola. You know, I think there are, you know, sometimes the skilled players do get caught out um, up the pitch, um, perhaps not as far up the pitch as they should be giving it away, and and it, it sometimes has disastrous. Effects, but I think we're singling out Joe Cole here very, very unfairly, and, and I'm, I, frankly, I'm just not having it. Thank you. <laughs> no, but to be fair, he had you, you, you grow a reputation. Um, Makalele had a role named after him. So when you say the Makalele position, mm-hmm. we all know what you're talking about. Yeah. When you say the Joe Cole giveaway in the early days of Mourinho and being taken off after 20 minutes against Fulham, mm-hmm. we all know what we're talking about. Uh, well, Listen, and we're uh, not having a go at Joe Cole. He had some good moments, but we, you know, it, it is it is a good bit of legend of the club, isn't it? I, I think that's possibly um, that Joe Cole was getting the same treatment that and, and survived it to some extent, uh, which is testament to the the general spine and fibre that we Aloisians have given to us by probably being beaten insensible on a daily basis. Um, that's, you know, the, the Quadrados, the Salas, even the Hazards have, have, have not been able to produce. And that is the, you know, there's a skillful player. I'm going to make shit of him 
and undermine him publicly as often as I can, which was Mourinho's way with the, the highly skilled player. I think to a degree it's a bit of a fan trait as well. I, I wrote an article last week where I said that that, that kind of trigger-happy culture that our owner has and the, and the the board or whatever within the club seems to have spread a little bit to the fans with this, he's had a bad game, therefore, you know, we've got to get rid of him. Get what you can for him. I mean, the, the, the Twitterati over giving it about... You know, a bad sh- game? A bad 15 minutes, you might have. Yeah. God, they don't even give you a whole game anymore. No, no, I suppose not. But I you come on as a sub in the 85th minute, you give yeah. the ball away once, that's it, they should sell you. Yeah, but they're today, today, you know, should we, should we sell Courtois? And I'm thinking, do you know what, we sold one good goalkeeper... I think the last thing we need to be doing is selling another good goalkeeper on the basis of the fact that he's had a bit of bad form with a pretty sh- shitty defence in front of him. I mean, the thing that got me more about Saturday, more than anything else that annoyed me, and it, it's a growing annoyment, an, uh, an annoyance with me and Gus Hiddink, because um, I sort of, we're going to talk about it a bit later on, but it's this insistence that after a not bad run of games where we were a bit of a patched up defence, but you saw um, Ivanovic um, playing better at centre-back than he's ever done at right-back this season, for sure. Um, and it's back to the old, let's put some square pegs in round holes. Let's have a natural right-back at left-back and um, put a bloke who's... Am I the only one who's, who's thought that maybe Azpilicueta um, hasn't shone at right-back as much as I thought he would, particularly in the last few games? I... That's not to say he's been rubbish. It's just to say that you would have thought, given the way he's performed on the left-hand side, that he would be that and more moving back to his natural right-hand well, side. Well, but in I actual think. fact, I, 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 I thought he's not played that brilliantly. Uh, he, he, he's. I think he's probably cowed by just you know playing in a, a, a very very much misfiring team. If you've got a six-cylinder car and four cylinders aren't firing, chances are. You know, the fifth one's going to go, and then probably the last one, they'll all be out. Of well, William, William has obviously gone as well. I mean, he's, yeah. Last couple yeah. of games, he's he's been giving a ball away and not looked sharp because he's probably hit the wall by now. Having Indeed, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, Mark, do, do, do you have any thoughts on this? I mean, is it are we just being overly picky on on the players, or is it? I mean, I I, I must admit, I thought in the first half. I was one of those that was standing there saying, they're already in the deck chairs, they're already at the beach bar. And then the second half, they were like the fire brigade. I just thought they were excellent. And I know you weren't there, but you know that's just my view. But um, I don't know. Any thoughts on, on the way things have, have been with the players like that? What we've said? You mean being uh, overpicky too quickly? Yes. Well, I think that's just the way of the world, isn't it? I mean, you've got to blame Twitter for that. Then we all give instant opinions. Um, Would you come in from the garden, Mark? Because you, you appear to have gone out into the garden. Is that better? Is that better? Yes, that is, yeah. 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 <laughs> so I was just out the back having a smoke. <laughs> yes, yeah, that's what I started. <laughs> oh, dear. Right, come on, let's move on. Okay, then. Clayton, some last yeah. thoughts from you, then, on what we've been discussing. Um, I, I sort of a couple of things really because you were talking about West Ham. I thought that um, we were abject um, for a large part of the first half. I thought that it was quite interesting because I know it's a Chelsea podcast, but West Ham in the first half, I think it showed to me how much 
um, you need experience and you need a winner in your side to achieve anything because they were far, so far superior to, to us in the first half that they should have basically been about two or three up by the time half time. They should have had the game won. They went one nil up and then they just sort of put their smoking jackets on and thinking, oh, yeah, no, this, this is good. And when it got a little bit feisty in the second half, they were lucky to go 2-1 up. It was an appalling goal to concede. It was just, it was, it was, it summed up the season. We were looking decent, not brilliant, but looking decent and we lose the ball and two passes later it's in the back of the net. Just by way of a change, it's gone behind Branner. Um, I don't know what's going on with, with Tebow at the moment, but his effort was fairly half-assed. But I think he's just basically thinking, oh, I don't know why I bother. Um, but I think the way we started the game had, had more to do about Gus than any, anybody else. Because the, the, the side... I mean, as you know, I've been banging on about youth. I did an article for the fan cast yesterday about youth. Because to me, it makes absolutely no sense. I am not saying for one minute that I want to see the under-21s playing out there. I don't. I want to see a couple of kids playing out there. I think this whole ditching of Baba is ridiculous. I don't know, I don't watch him train, I don't know what he's like, but the simple fact of the matter is I saw him play half a dozen games on the spin, he made a mistake against Southampton, well hello, look at the mistakes we've made in the last couple of games. Agreed. He's, he's no worse than Branner was at right back. Agreed. Um, so for, for him to just be shut out like that I think is ridiculous. We had a balanced defence. I'm not saying it was a good defence, but it was balanced we had a left back and a right back in the, in, you know, playing in their right positions. I think um, the, the point about Asby has been made um, by other people that they've said he hasn't actually shone him right back. I think he's knackered, like William. I think they've carried the team on their back for the whole season. You know, there's nothing to play for anymore. I think they're just phoning it in now, and I don't blame them. They're, you know, they're, they're two guys who you can't blame. But it was no coincidence in the last 15 minutes when Loftus-Cheek came on and Traore came on, we set about them. And we basically, there was pace and there was people who gave a toss. And West Ham were under the cosh. And I actually think, you know, that that was good. And I cannot see any reason whatsoever apart from, what is it, £1.25 million a point or position or whatever it is as to why we can't play these guys now until the end of the season, including Bubba. I'd have Bubba at left back and I'd have Kennedy in front of him. And I'd basically leave it like that. Um, I'd, I'd get Loftus-Cheek in. You don't need Matic. You don't need Mikel. You know what those guys can do. Um, Mikel has been fantastic. Uh, he's, he's now, you know, he steadied the ship. He saved, saved our, our bacon. I, you know, fine, he doesn't need to play, or maybe he does and, and, and have Loftus-Cheek. Now, talking about the, the sort of let's sell them after five minutes bad performance, Loftus-Cheek is, is basically a prime example. He came on against Stoke and he was useless. He was absolutely rubbish. I don't know whether he'd been out the night before or whatever, but he came on and he, he stunk the place out. He was out there for about 15 minutes and, and a lot of Chelsea fans were like thinking, well, he's not the, he's not the next big thing because he was he was hopeless 15 minutes against West Ham I thought he was great he was running at them whether it was a penalty or not I don't know I haven't watched it back I hear it wasn't well that's fair enough but there was a blatant handball in the first half which was a penalty so 
evens itself out. But he was running at them. He was running from deep, which I think is probably his best position. Um, you know, if after back. half, yeah, he did. He was chasing back. He was he was actually putting himself about. I know exactly. You know, the the Stoke thing. I think we probably talked about it last time we were on when he just watched somebody walks away with the ball. He was putting himself about, and I just think the thing is with him. We've got half a dozen, seven games that don't matter, apart from obviously Spurs at home. Put him in. If he stinks the place out and he's no good, fine, we know. But we ain't going to know by bringing him on for 10 minutes every five minutes, you know. Yeah. We're not going to find anything out. I agree. Um, and, and I was part of that twitter arty debate uh, about Courtois. I'm absolutely disgusted. I'm disgusted with the fact that people want Hazard out of the door. They want Courtois out of the door. These guys haven't played well this year. We don't know the psychological damage that's been done by Mourinho. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes. The club is not a happy club. Now, I personally, because I'm not a professional footballer, I, I can't see how all of that can make you not perform as well as you should do. But Tebow's 23, Hazard's 22. Yep. I mean, this is... You know, for Hazard's first bad season, Tebow's only had one season with us. With Atletico, he was fantastic. With last year, I thought he was very good. I mean, I don't know. I, I really just, I think, I despair. I think people just don't know they're born. You know, they'll be happy. Hazard's gone and Marco Marin's running around next next season. Great. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Well done. You well, got him out of the club, you know. Yeah. Uh, who do you want? You want Hilario back, do you? I know everybody. You know. The problem. No, they don't want those, Clayton. No, no they I know. Want, but they the probably problem. want they they want Rodriguez or whoever he is from Madrid. You know, yeah. whoever's the next. I know. You it's know, the, sexy player that, that Madrid or Barcelona or someone yeah. in exactly. the in the Bundesliga has. There's always someone else that's going to be better. Uh, and like you say, how you can just write off a player like Hazard? I just frankly find it. You know, you know what Courtois' biggest problem is. He's not Petr Cech. Yeah. But, yeah. And people can't forgive him for not being Petr Cech. And yeah, that is but, unfair. But, but then Petr Cech, you know, was coming in for criticism in the last couple of seasons. People said he'd people, gone. People have they? selective memories, yeah. yeah. They he, said he'd gone. He wasn't coming for the high ball anymore. Right. He was this, he was that, you know. It's, uh, it, it is interesting because I, I, I have to say, Clayton, was a rant worthy of... Um, David Chidgy himself, I think. Oh, um, please, please, I couldn't possibly was, take that, that sort of level of accolade. It, it was, it was, it was superb, mate. Um, and and a, a definite um, uh, one which I agree with as well. I mean, Rubens Loftus Cheek, I thought, was fantastic when he came on against West Ham. Uh, he he, even if it wasn't a penalty, and I still think it was marginal. I take Goose's point of view that. Um, the initial contact happened on the line, which therefore makes it part of the box, in my view. But irrespective of that, you win some, you lose some. But he ran into that space like a fucking steam train right, yeah. to get into that space. And if if uh, I think it was Antonio that clipped him, if he hadn't gone anywhere near it, he had a great chance, a goal-scoring opportunity. Okay, Um and it was good to see. It was good to see. It was almost the polar opposite. Well, it was the polar opposite, or almost the polar opposite of his performance against Stoke. Mm. Um, and I and I, I see that. And I, 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 you know, I stand by the view that you know we you, you can't go around just selling players. We will take fifty million quid. Um, we'll we'll take eighty million quid for Hazard. Well, number one, no one's going to give us eighty million quid for Hazard after this season. And number two, you know, this is this is one. 
player that you probably you know you're going to get a once in a lifetime chance. He, he's he, he's the potential to be a Zola type player, okay? Um, and you, sh- we, you know, can't have that trigger. What are you going to get that's better? And I always, I always quote this, and I know it's not a popular view, and I know it's a bit controversial. We got rid of Arjen Robin and replaced him with Florent Maluda. And I cannot, still to this day, when you look at their careers over the years, I can't help but think, what on earth was Mourinho thinking? I know Robin was made of glass, but Maluda, apart from what I can remember as about a six-month purple patch, pretty much was one of the laziest players I've ever seen with one of the worst attitudes. Um, I think yeah, I think his purple patch was longer than six months. He played well under, under Hiddink, and then he played well under Ancelotti. And did Robin want to go? You know, it did, we didn't force Robin wow. out. I don't think. I mean, if the guy wants to go, he wants to go. What are we going to do about it? Yeah, I, I think. But isn't that the, the, the isn't that the art of being a good manager? I'm not going to use the word coach here. Being a good manager is that you manage those egos and make them want to stay. You know, or not make them want to stay, but persuade them that you know you're going to provide them with everything they do. That's that's what good managers, good leaders do and, and you know I just think um, I, I seem to remember that the rumour was at the time and I think it was reported in one of the papers that um, after Iron Robin had asked to come off in a game after being kicked around the place and went down the tunnel, Mourinho said very vocally, no more Dutchman, that's it um, you know um, and you can't, you wouldn't be surprised if, if, you, if you'd heard that was true really would you you know what Mourinho was like, he was very vocal and had a, had a habit of saying things publicly that he probably didn't really, well he probably did want them to be heard actually but um, I, I just think it's he it, don't, he, I don't think he likes players who are managed by their dads or yeah, some other close relative Robin was managed by his dad wasn't he yeah and Hazard um, is Hazard managed by his dad? He is indeed. Yeah. Can I throw Kevin De Bruyne into the mix there? Is managed it? by his dad. dad yeah. So you, he's I'm a serial sure. dad manager. Hater, what about Lukaku? Like, uh, um, I don't know. I don't know. But what we do know is, of course, is that Marine. Is the exception that proves the rule, Clay? Yeah. yeah, true. That's my. <laughs> I think. I think the. He Arjun doesn't like people thing. managed by their dads. <laughs> I think. All right. Arjun Robin, I think it was the Liverpool away leg in the Champions League, the first one that we had, where he refused to play, and then he brought him on for the last 10 minutes, um, and I think that's what did for him. I think Mourinho got rid of him after that. Yeah, indeed. I bet bet there's a German word for hating people who are managed by their dads. You know, one of those big, long German words. Someone will probably come up with it before we finish. Mark, Mark, I'm going to move it on a bit, actually, because we've we've sort of touched on the the, the youth. We've been passing it around the back too much. Let's try and pass it forward for once. Yeah, yeah. Um, (laughs) I just... All I wanted to say, Mark, was uh, we've been sort of touched on it. And we're into the second half of the podcast, and I, was, I, I had a, a, a section set aside for for the kids. And and um, I, I'm interested in your view on this because you've heard. I mean, I thought Kennedy had a great game on on, on Saturday, and it's no doubt going to end up wearing one of the Chelsea masks after the injury or the knock he took. Um, is it time now, with you know eight dead rubbers effectively, mm. not including Spurs, to 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 give more of them a run out, give them more game time? We've we've you know, the manager himself has said we've got nothing to play for but pride, which I, is a phrase I detest because actually that should be the first thing on the list. You should be playing for bloody pride and, and then going on and winning. But um, do you think we should be perhaps giving some of these youngsters some more game time and seeing how the land lies or is it at the job of the new coach? I don't know if it's a job of any coach, to be honest. I mean, if you look at the um, youth 
players that we're playing. Um, Bubba has had a few games. He's 20. Zuma is only 21, and he'd still be playing if he didn't get injured. Uh, Triore gets a few games, and I'm sure he'll get more. He's only 20. Kennedy's only 20. Ruben Loftus-Cheek is making a few cameos. He's only 20. And as you said just now, actually, Courtois only 22, and Hazard's only 23, if I got that the right way around, um, 22 and 23. Mm. So I think we are, um, there are youth players in the team. Actually, I think um, youth may be a bit of a misnomer. And um, I think what people are more likely trying to say, but they're not saying it, is they want to see homegrown players as opposed to youth. Because as I've just quoted, you know, a list of um, seven players there who are young. So what's wrong with playing Kennedy? Who's only uh, uh, sorry? What's wrong with playing Hazard? Who's only twenty-three? That is youth. I mean, what more do you want? That's a good point. Actually, I haven't really thought about. So that. Uh, uh, what people want, I think, is um, homegrown. That's what they're really saying. As in through the academy. Through the academy, and and you know what is homegrown? Is homegrown Ruben Loftus Cheek, who was there from the age of um, eight. Eight. Or. Um, is it someone who we buy in at 16, Kakuta, and then we develop for a couple of years? Or um, is it Kennedy, who we bought in at 19? Or should we go back to the fetus and um, we only bring <laughs> fetuses whose both parents... I don't remember him. ...swear a declaration <laughs> that they uh, are true blue Chelsea fans and that their great-grandparents were Chelsea fans. <laughs> and they have to show full allegiance to the club. So, so a lineage is what you're looking for. Well, that's what, yeah. So I think what people really want is not necessarily young players. They want homegrown. And what they want is people who they think are blue, true blues through and through. So if you cut them open, they'd bleed a bit of blue blood. And if you pull down their shorts, they'd have blue is the colour tattooed on their cock. Just to show their allegiance. <laughs> Which I've got, by the way. All oh, right. Um, actually, oh, right. when I had it done, the tattoo artist said, "Look, it's a shame to waste the canvas." So he carried on and he put in, "Football is a game. <laughs> We're all together. Winning is our aim." So cheer us on through the sun, and and he had to stop at that point. Oh, dear. But in my defence, it was a cold day. <laughs> <laughs> so to be honest, I, if you ask me honestly, I would say abandon the youth setup. It's going back to days that no longer exist. You know, a hundred years ago, people worked in the mill. In the afternoons, they'd cycle up the Hovis delivery to the house at the top of the cobbled street. And then they'd jog down the hill to their local oh club. Days. And they, you know, that was it. There was a, everyone who played for the team knew everyone's family. They all came from the same streets. And that's how it was. It's a bygone age that's gone. You know, if you look at a car manufacturer today, they don't make everything themselves. They buy it in. They buy in electrical systems, the raw steel, the glass, the tyres. They're assemblers. What is wrong with us just being an assembler like everybody else? It's the modern world. Forget the youth. It's not our job to develop youth. Actually, I've read a very interesting article the other day about um, some player who was in the Chelsea Academy, and he's now at Luton. And he did say that um, the problem with the academy is that when you get into the academy, you think you've made it. And the parents are already 
getting excited about the gravy train. They can see vicariously through their son, here is their route to get a big house and a couple of decent cars in the driveway. And what they're really aiming for is the first contract, 60 grand a week, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. They're not interested in whether the son turns into a great player. It's just the lifestyle that they're after. And I think academies actually are doing more damage than good. And we're cultivating people from the age of eight who actually shouldn't be even thinking that they've made it at that age. They should be at school like everybody else. That was magnificent. Mm. I, th- I literally am speechless. <laughs> that, was, that was Churchillian, in my view. Thank you very much. Come on, Bromley, that's you and that's you and Clayton tonight. By word, you've. Uh, I'm struggling. I'm struggling to remember the Churchillian speech where he referred to the length of his penis. But I'm, I'm sure it will come back. It'll come back to me at some point. Yeah. Probably oh, said it to Mary Astor. Yeah, dear oh dear oh dear. But I, I, I've got to say, I think it's it's there's some good points, and 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 I I, I wonder whether the fact is we've we've put more of the younger players in the team ever than ever this year and and you know this is an experience for them or whatever i think you know the the clayton's right when um loftus cheek and um traore came against west ham they i mean that traore's remarkable it just saves saves a goal on the line um and was play he just plays with a smile on his face he reminds me of ramirez when he first came to the club that no matter what happened he would just get up and green and carry on with it um but, it is but a, Ramirez, it, Ramirez could trap a ball further than Traore can. Well, it may be, but I mean, we're looking at it and we're saying these guys. You know, I, I said after the the, um, the Stoke game that, that when Ruben's lost his cheek came on, it that to me displayed the gulf between the kind of youth or the younger setup and the, the full level of the Premier League. <clears throat> um, and, and maybe it is a confidence thing. I, I, I'm, I'm, I can't ever buy into the fact that you know one man, Mourinho, can wreck your confidence by just saying, you know what, you don't try hard enough publicly. You, you, you man up. You know that's just you, you're too fragile to be a footballer if that's going to damage you. Um, you know if you, if you can't take that from the manager, um, you're not going to take you know forty thousand fans calling you every name under the sun, insulting you your mother and everybody and everything to do with you you know you just you've got to be thick-skinned um so i think it was an interesting point and uh, you know i see the kids or these these youngsters coming through i think you're right i think people have bought into the idea mark that uh, you know i think the class of 92 is what everybody sort of sits there and says well look at that you know it was beckham gig skulls and all this sort of stuff that happened once i can recall in my lifetime with that squad I don't really ever remember that happening with anybody else. Liverpool had their boot room kind of apprenticeship scheme, but they didn't like suddenly put eight youngsters in a team and then go on to win everything in sight, as that team did. You know, so I think there's a little bit of that kind of mythology around it. People think that it's that easy. Um, I don't know if, if, you, if, if anybody else has got anything, um, wants to follow on from Mark's point of view there, Clayton or Mark? Um, Clayton yeah, no, I'd, 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 it was, it's quite interesting because I had um, a very similar discussion about uh, the youth um, on Saturday before the game. Um, because you're quite right, there, there shouldn't be a distinction between our homegrown players and the younger players that are in the side, like... Um, Zuma and Kennedy, which are, are purchased players, I think there is. Um, I, I, I've said if this season's going to be a write-off, and I said this really early on, 
The only thing that will make it fairly palatable is if at the end of the season we've got three or four players who are young players who have joined the squad. So if Zuma recovers, we've got him. We've got Kennedy. I think we've agreed that he's now yep. a part of the squad. We've got Traore. Um, he's done very well. And potentially we've got Loftus-Cheek, although obviously the jury is still out on him. I think... So, and, and added to the other young players that we mentioned, then our team is evolving and there's a transition and, you, you know, we're going to need somebody to mould and bring in some experienced players to help them as well. But I think the frustration is, and it is a naivety, and you're quite right, it is a, quote, bygone error. But if you look at what we've achieved in terms of youth football compared to the rest of Europe... We've won our league. We've won the FA Youth Cup countless times at four out of the last six years. We won the first inaugural Champions League. Um, and we're doing very well again this year. So I think the, the point is that we've got these players who are obviously decent players. Now, we all know that there's only a very small percentage of players who actually make it because you've got to be very, very good. But I think, you know, as fans, we want to know whether... You know, the Lewis Bakers, the Dom Solankis, the um, Izzy Browns, the Tammy Abrahams, the, the Jake Salter-Clark. These guys are decent players. And I think that it would be a crying shame if we never, ever saw them play in the first team or were given any sort of a chance. And now is, is the time that they can be given a chance um, because there's nothing on on any of the games so if you if you play a Jake Salter Clark at centre half um, in one of the games um, obviously the other guys I mentioned are out on loan but you've got Tammy Abrahams I think you know I'd love to see him come on for 15-20 minutes they may be raw but it, it's all about them getting experience so um, uh, yeah there is a, a sort of naivety in my hope but I think it's 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 understandable. We we've obviously got a a really good crop of players, and I think it would be a shame that if we never ever saw them given a chance in in some respects in 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 our club. It, I, think the, I mean, the if we won all those other tournaments, sorry, Daniel, but um, yeah. may, maybe it you know it's possible that the other clubs aren't taking youth football that seriously. And well, yeah, um, you don't think Barcelona or Ajax or. These these are the teams. That well, maybe not. In, in the maybe they're not worried about winning the competition. Maybe they're worried about um, running around on a five-a-side pitch and um, making sure their players can keep the ball for ninety minutes and um, have technical skills to play the ball with both feet, as opposed to winning a youth tournament. I mean, I actually think the point I forgot to mention was actually I think we should abolish all these youth tournaments. I think it was much better back in the day when we had a proper reserve league. And players could come in and play proper reserve games. I mean, we now had the Southeast Counties League, which was for the youth players as well. Yeah, but I mean, back in the day, um, decent players played reserve football, and so if you threw the reserve, uh, if you threw youth players into that, they were playing against proper men, and yeah, you'd find so out pretty quickly if they were decent. It's all very well playing against um, Fulham in a Youth Cup final or whatever it was. And thinking, yeah, we've won it, we're the bee's knees. But back in the day, you know, when John Dempsey was um, coming back from an injury and he had to play three games in the reserves, and you were a 16-year-old kid who had to play up against John Dempsey, and you, you were a forward, 
if you survive that without running off crying and whimpering, you were man enough to get into the first team and you got your chance. There's no way of proving yourself anymore. It's all delusional. Wow. No, I, no I, 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 don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying, but the point is that our kids must be good. Because and, we beat Fulham in the Youth Cup. Oh, come on, Clayton. No, but no, because we're basically we're beating the, the, the elite of Europe in the Champions League trophy. So, you know, what, what else can they be compared to? They can't be compared to anything else because nobody's actually given them a chance to play against John Dempsey. OK, well, in, a, in five years' time, let's see um, what the new um, player is that Barcelona have just signed from um, Argentina, who's meant to be the new Messi. Let's see what he's like. And if, well, he's, I th- if he I really think, is the I new think Messi... I think, arguing against myself, there's a couple of Barcelona youth players playing at Stoke at the moment, so I think... <laughs> That probably answers my... Well, that would be a lot better education. Yeah, absolutely, but they're not Barcelona yeah, but Barcelona players and Real Madrid players play in the, um, is it the second or third second division, division, don't they? Yeah. So, yeah. so they so do, good, they get something of, of what you're talking about, Mark. Um, that's, uh, I, I, from my point of view, I think, aside putting aside either the, the romance or the, um, the futility sort of angle... To me, Chelsea will always be forced to overplay, overpay for talent within the UK, sort of John Stones syndrome. Uh, to some extent, they probably have to overpay in Europe. And if they can at least put a quarter or half the team out based on players that they've got in a lot earlier and brought on, from that practical point of view, they're saving themselves a lot of messing about contractually and a lot of, you know can spend more time um bringing in contained loads of brazilians and parking them somewhere to you know keep various agents happy you know as has happened with pato and 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 um foul cow you know they can engage more often in ridiculous nonsense like that but at least you've got a stream of players coming into the team from a reliable source. I, I think there is a, a, a disjointedness between the academy and the first team. Certainly, that was what was said under Mourinho. But I, I'm with Clayton. I find it hard to believe that that none of those players, that, that in, in the last two to three seasons particularly, who have, who have measured up against some of the better players, you know, in the UK and in Europe, that none of those players are suitable for first-team football. Other other teams, you know, appear to be able to do it. I'm not saying it should be a wholesale eleven or anything like that, but uh, there, there's there's some problem with bringing players through. Sure, I mean Ake's done fine at Watford. Surely he's, you know, he, he's had a a year of, of Premiership football. Oh, is that the interesting what you're saying there? Well, why, why why wouldn't he be back next year to yeah. play for Chelsea? Well, because he's he's he along with um, Charlie Masunda, and I think it's Christensen. Christensen has been doing very well in the Bundesliga. Indeed, and and um, and by all accounts, Masonda has been lighting up at Real Betis, and I think all three of them have come out with statements um, saying that they they really aren't interested in coming back to Chelsea next season, hmm. unless they're going to get a chance. Well, you know, yeah, but I mean, it, it's useful whether whether you're managed by your dad or by an agent or whatever to say, do you know what? I really like it here in Betis. In um, is it 
where's um, Christian's play? Is it Wolfsburg, is it? Or He's at yeah. uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach. Right, yeah. um, and, and with, with Ake at Watford saying, do you know what, I, uh, I, I'm getting first team football here, I don't want to go back and be shoved back into the, the team that's playing Fulham youth or whatever. And, and this, yeah. there's a sort of counterpoint to that as well. I, I, I sit, I'm right on the fence here. I think Mark has got a really good point. There was this whole thing in the reserves and, and it meant the same for injured players. They didn't have this luxury of going off being massaged, um, heat treatment and being treated like kings and then suddenly find themselves straight back in the first team. <clears throat> 99 times out of 100, they had to go in and they had to do their time in the reserves just to show the manager who took an interest in the reserves that they were back and, and, and able to play. Okay, uh, And I kind of miss that. But again, I do take your point, Clayton. If you're playing the best in the world and they're all using this system, and there is no other system, that old system doesn't exist anymore, you've got to try and do the best by the system that's in place. Um, and I, I, I'm actually taking the view that it's not as bleak as, as we think, because now, I think through, but our hand has been forced a little bit, you know, and therefore we've seen Kennedy, and we've seen Traore, and we've seen Rubens Loftus-Cheek, because the depth of the squad just isn't there, and some of the players that um, were were, were Mountainous last last season, like Matic, and aren't doing it, okay. Mm. And uh, so I think is it, there's a bit of a mix going on here. It's been a really good. I am going to move it on now because I think you know um, we've got just a couple of other things. I think we can finish off in the last ten minutes. Um, and the next one, I just want to move on to. Um, we're not going to talk about Oscar now because I think um, <laughs> that could that could go on forever. But um, uh, it, um, and, uh, some comments were made in the earlier part of the podcast about performance and games and this sort of stuff. Um, just want to touch on the captain scenario um, because obviously we still have this position which is looking more and more like JT is going to go uh, the club have said nothing there's the old rumour that comes out and says you know the new manager is going to say something but we've not even announced him yet and even he um, the, the, the uh, if you like the, the, the future king if you like is, is sown a few seeds of doubt with his interview last week either very cleverly or deliberately um, um, so the captain scenario, um, and I'm wondering whether there's anybody in the current squad um, that could do it. And, and I picked out two names, which um, might be slightly surprising. And one was that um, John Obi Mikel, who was pointed to earlier on as having been one of our best this season. And, and I think people are finally seeing that, you know, uh, a bit like Mike Brewley was with the England team years ago, the England cricket team, not the greatest cricketer in the world, but a really, really top-notch captain. Um, and with Mikel, you have this. Not he's never going to be, uh, you know, a Messi or a Ronaldo or anything like that. But he's good and he's steady and he's been very steady and he's in, reliable and everything. But the other one, and he stood out for me on Saturday. Absolutely stood out. It's possibly the first time he's ever done this before. But he at, looked, he bossed the game and he was like a boss on the pitch. Was Cesc Fabregas. Um, and there's been doubts over him this season with his, you know, allegedly being one of the three rats, which turned out to be a load of rubbish. Um, but after he equalised, and I've never seen him take a free kick like that, you know, who knew? Um, I was one of the, the naysayers saying, for Christ's sake, what are you doing letting Fabregas take this? But he had a magnificent game to me on Saturday. He was my man of the match for Chelsea by some distance, you know, um, and I just wonder what other people thought. They, they, they were pretty much... And I don't include Ivanovic in this because I don't think Ivanovic is a captain. Anybody? Um, I uh, I don't think Mikel because I think Mikel is a very good player. 
Um, I've always been a big fan, and I've always despaired at the the amount of abuse he's got from people, uh, which I think has not been deserved. But I I don't see him as a captain. Um, the one person I'd make captain would be Kurt Zuma if he comes back and he is um, he's back to where he was. I'd make him captain. I know he's young, but I think that's what you need. I think you know he's got all the heart, he's got all the spirit. Um, I'd just sling him in there. I really would. I think John Terry was quite young when they made him captain. Um, I mean, you have to wonder whether somebody who's earning £120,000 a minute or whatever it is they earn these days is actually... Is that... Oh, have, have we lost Clayton? Oh, I'll try ringing um, Clayton in. I think we may well have just lost him there uh, accidentally. Donald or Mark, would either of you like to pick up on... That subject? Um, I don't have a, a strong opinion on the captaincy. I don't, you, you come back to this debate about do, does English football um, sort of uh, ascribe to the captaincy all these sort of mythical powers, whereas on the continent, etc., it's just whoever wants it or whoever's the most senior player or whoever's you know, got the... Freshest smelling shower gel. I don't know what they decided on, but um, I don't think there's anyone that stands out to me at the moment. If we're talking about the the chest beating um, warrior style captaincy, no one really stands out as wanting that. Costa's probably too too much of a hot head. You want someone who's got a bit of diplomacy in there as well. Um, no, I've. I've It'll be interesting to see who is made captain, but at the moment, I don't think there's... You know, I sympathise with players who don't necessarily want the captaincy. If it, if it brings a big responsibility with it, some people sort of naturally lead and, and want that sort of thing. I don't... No one jumps out to me at the moment as looking like they want it that much, but I may be wrong. Mark. Hello. Hello. What would you think? I'm oh, sorry, miles away there. I was admiring my tattoo for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear! I think I think Nick, our, our glorious leader and and uh, our our producer of this show, is, is not going to have much trouble coming up with a title for this one. Um, any thoughts on the captain scenario? <laughs> no, not really. But um, Clayton mentioned Kurt Zuma. Actually, I was pleased to see a video clip of him yesterday in the gym on the bicycle. So he's putting a bit of pressure on his knee, which is um, positive. Obviously, he won't be back for this season. No, no, I mean, I think a lot of it comes down to personality. And you can't judge a personality by seeing them running around on the pitch. You know, what are they like in the dressing room? What are they like on the coach? What are they like around the other players? How driven are they? I think John Terry has been a great leader. Um, he has carried the team on numerous occasions. Um, both in his um, last-ditch tackles, putting his head where others fear to put their foot, and just the aura he gives off, and the way he gets the back four in line and drives everyone forward. He is a proper leader of a team. He's a proper captain. I can't think of anyone like that. Um, I don't know. I really don't know what Zuma's personality is like. He's very young, I think. Well, that doesn't matter. Terry was young. I mean, if, if he is a natural leader, he can he can be that. Um, 
and Sesk, I don't really know. Um, I would have thought he'd have been a captain by now if he was going to be a captain. He probably just wants to play on the ball in midfield and not worry too much about what everybody else is up to. Okay, it was just, I mean, from my perspective, I saw a guy, you know, really cajoling players and, and he started just wonder, you know, sometimes these players step up to it eventually when when the chips are down and, and you know, he he genuinely sort of drove us forward on on on, uh, on Saturday against West Ham. So it was just a, you know, good conversation. I think ultimately, we'd, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if it is Conti that he brings somebody in with him. Um, Clayton, are you back with us? I am. I know I never was away. Oh, no. well, you never was, but you definitely well, no, went. I, I stop your sentence you. halfway then. Yeah. You couldn't, couldn't hear me. Well, that, that was, um, I was just trying to, you know, be a drama queen. Oh, um, <laughs> are you trying to be enigmatic? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I it's players who go missing just part way through a game like that. Like yeah, Joe well, Cole, for example. Do you remember that Joe Cole used to do that? I mean, I don't know about Cesc being our captain. Um, I'm not... I mean, I think he has played well. I think if Conte does come in and turns him into our Perlo, um, then I'm happy for him to be in our midfield next year. I think one of the problems I've, I've thought this season is that our midfield is a bit too passive. Um, I think we've got too many slow players. We, we, we need a box-to-box player, and I don't know if we've got room for uh, a Mikel and a Fabregas together. Um, I think they both do or certainly on Saturday they were decent, but I don't actually believe that we, we create very much and I don't believe that we create much of a threat. So um, it might be sacrosanct after his excellent performance on Saturday, but if Cesc wasn't there next year, I don't think I'd be that upset. Actually, talking about not creating very much, does anyone else think, um, I know this is going to sound really awful, that William is a little bit overrated? It's, it's interesting, because I think, you, as we said earlier, he seems to have carried the team, um, and and um, as the as the you know for me that the whole thing's died off a little bit now, and, and um, the, the goose rain has, has produced I think it's seven draws out of eight games at home in the Premier League or something like that, um, and I, I wonder whether like 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 Donald said he's he's become a little disheartened or whatever with with it because he was by far and away you know he was scoring those goals from the from the free kicks and we looked like we had a free kick specialist on it and but he hasn't done that for a little while he's got close a couple of times and he had one on Saturday versus West Ham um, I, I think he's just knackered Mark I yeah no, I don't really mean that actually I mean mm. um, I don't mind him drifting off a bit towards the back end of the season um, that's fine he's knackered and he has been one of our better players so I'm not taking that away from him and I do have great admiration for him the way he um, picks a ball up in our half and he's willing to drive the ball forward and run at defenders and for a little chap his heart in terms of wanting to run at people and, and maybe <coughs> excuse me take a heavy tackle is um, very very admirable but his final pass sometimes well he just doesn't make one he sort of stops when he gets to the box and he doesn't shoot quite as often as he could so he has been fantastic for us in that he's better than the rest of us but maybe that's because the rest of us have been pretty poor and he's therefore stood up a bit but he's is he all that really i think if you if you if you wind back to last season everybody said william's really really good but he's got no end product 
And at the beginning of this season, uh, certainly for the first three or four months, he had an end product because he was the only one that was scoring. He was the only one that was making things happen, albeit most of his goals are from dead ball situations rather than from open play. Um, I think he's a he's a very decent player, but I know exactly what you mean. And I, th- I think at the moment we can't judge him because I think he's just basically finally run out of puff. Um, but yeah, I... I overrated is probably I know what you mean I don't know if it's the right thing to say about him because I think he's a, he's a good player yeah I don't want to be harsh on him because I yeah, like no, him I, 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 yeah I know I, that's what I'm saying I don't think you're being harsh I, I know exactly what you're saying I think he's a very good player but he's not a great player Donald um, yeah I suppose it's yeah. What's a great player? Is he a great all rounder? No, I, he's got a lot of pace. He's got a lot of. Uh, he, he's very good on the ball. You know, he, he would form in a in a well functioning team. He he has quite a devastating effect. Yes, he he possibly doesn't score as many goals as as a player of of his skill. You you know you'd expect a player of his skill to score, but. Um, yeah, I mean, great. Is he is he good? Is he great? I don't know. He's certainly. I'm not sure who you'd replace him with. Would be my question. I don't know. Uh, I, people might look at Payet and Mares and people like that, but I think they're different types of a different class type of player. You know. Um, uh, I, no, I like him. I, 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 yeah, ascribing greatness to players is always a bit dodgy, but. Um, you know, I, I I think he's one that we need to keep, and I think in in a, in a better functioning team, he can be quite devastating. Would be my view. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to um, move on now into the final part, which is parish notices and a few plugs and AOB. Um, we're just over the hour now, so. Um, conscious that we started a little bit late and it makes no difference to the listener because they're virtual listeners they listen when they want like just like we pod when we want um so for the for the listener and i've now met quite a few of them including steve burns as well in the pub on saturday who said that my voice always comes out quieter and yet is quite loud in real life um but parish notices um you can pick up this episode of um i um of the podding shed and many others in fact this is episode number 75 um which i've forgot to mention at the beginning of this so it's our three quarters of a century um, of, of episodes going um, there's probably a proper celebratory name for that um, but you can get that from iTunes that'll be published tomorrow at some point when you see the tweets go up um, you can also get the whole back catalogue on um, poddingshed.com uh, just google it it usually comes out near the top um, second one just want to give a quick plug to I was before I came on tonight I was listening to the um, uh, uh, the EGM of the Chelsea Supporters Trust. Um, it's a very, very worthy organisation looking after and trying to re- represent the fans into the club and, and get your voice heard. Um, you can join the trust and get your voice heard by the club. It's £5 to become a voting member. Um, it's free for non-voting members. You'll get a newsletter every now and then and you'll get a chance to take part in a survey which I'm reliably informed the club takes very seriously. Um, you can sign up for that at chelseasupporterstrust.com um, and then you can attend the meetings. Uh, the meetings are now usually online by, via Skype and via Mixler. Um, and you can also follow them on Twitter. And their handle is at Chelsea S Trust. Any other business, gents? Not for me. 
No, I'm, I don't... I'm, I'm, I'm good as gold. We, we haven't touched on the fact that Jose Marino is going to go to Arsenal, but I, I presume we'll save, we'll save that f- for another day. Yeah, I do. Um, there, there are some stories you just read and you think you, the, 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 the media, the, the, the written press hacks, sometimes you, they must be just so bored. Bored, mm. bored, bored of getting nothing out of us or, or any of the other clubs of any real note, especially with an international break coming up. They'll just say, you know, what would be the most ridiculous thing that could possibly happen? Mourinho going to Arsenal and absolutely countercultural to everything they stand for. We'll go and get him in. Um, amazing, amazing. The only other, the only other thing is it's it's uh, probably uh, more more of a sort of bulletin to the to the medical profession, uh, and that is that. Um, particularly A&E departments uh, or GPs, that if Mark does come in claiming to have uh, blister, <laughs> blister on his willy, you need to stretch it out a bit and then you'll see it's actually blue is the colour. Yeah, exactly. Well, the, guy, the guy who did it must have fantastic eyesight to write that small. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I've just been, I've been Googling. I, I can't find a microscope that's powerful enough to pick up <laughs> the, the font. I, d- I don't know if anyone can... You know, you know you can get the, the Bible on a pinhead. It must be that sort of font that it's done in, you know what I mean? but, but smaller. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry that I've... Um, my innocent little remark um, has made all you very, very bitter and jealous. Yeah, that, well, no, that... That's I mean, the I'm, size of it, mate. Yeah, it's the size. I mean, I mean yeah, that was only on one side. On the other side, I've got the um, full set of results, 1905 2015. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell Rick Glanville, the club yeah. historian, that, that they're there if he's ever looking yeah. for any research. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Um, thank you very much, guys. Um, we're now on a, uh, like everybody else in the Premiership, we're on an Easter break. I think our next game is um, April the 2nd. Um, and that's, uh, uh, well, you'd think it would be a banker away to Aston Villa, who are just the most wretched club, I think. That's ever well, we never uh, win up there, do we? They'll, they'll, <laughs> have a new, they'll have a new manager in, Nigel Pearson. They'll tear yeah. into us from day one and we'll lose 2-0, yeah. as we always do. Indeed. Um, our second game after that is um, around the 9th of April on the way to Swansea so we'll probably won't be podding until uh, at least the ga- after the Swansea game um, unless something dramatic happens at the club um, I'd like to say uh, a very very warm and um, and sincere thank you um, to all three of you for what has been yet another um, fantastic uh, evening and, and listening and, and, and laughing and and, and, and hearing some of the, the most inspirational rants and speeches and monologues tonight it's really really been interesting um, and it, it shows you that really all you ever need to get the most paltry amount of success which is what we get told we got is a decent spine and you chaps tonight have been a fantastic spine so uh, good night to you Mark good night Jenny. good night to you Clayton night night and good night to you, Donal. And from me, Grosser Jack, Tony, a very good evening to you all. Thanks. And it's uh, Gibraltar Lichtenstein has finished nil-nil. Good oh, night. There you go. A thriller. Right, cheers. <laughs> all the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.